Welcome to Betrayal Recovery Radio, the official podcast of APSATS, the Association of Partners of Sex Addict Trauma Specialists, hosted by Dr. Jake Porter. APSATS is a nonprofit organization providing professional training and compassionate support to partners affected by problematic sexual behavior and betrayal trauma. In each episode, Dr. Jake guides a conversation of enlightening insights and practical tools to empower those affected by sex addiction and betrayal trauma to use their voices and live their values. The mission of Betrayal Recovery Radio is to offer hope to those in need of healing and growth to those moving through grief. And now, here's your host, Dr. Jake Porter. Welcome to this episode of Betrayal Recovery Radio. I am your host, Dr. Jake Porter, and I'm really glad that you're here uh, tuning in today for the conversation I'm going to have. Um, when people throw themselves into recovery, they often do just that. They throw themselves, they give themselves over to this process. Not everybody, but I've seen a lot of folks who do that, and I've seen a lot of betrayed partners do that. I mean, when they go in, they go all in. They've read every book on sex addiction and every book on betrayal trauma, and they've listened to all the podcasts and seen all the YouTube videos, and and that is wonderful. It is important. Knowledge is power, and it is empowering, allowing you to make informed choices uh, for your own uh, life and, and direction of your life. And so that is such a good and crucial thing. And I've seen uh, folks just really latch on and, and, and go find support communities and find a therapist or coach or both and, and do all this work. And that is so crucial, especially at the beginning phases of, of recovery from betrayal trauma to have that support and have that structure that creates stability there as, as you're getting over the initial blow. I've also, though, seen it happen that sometimes people who are further out uh, in that process, further along, they begin to bump up against their own structures of support and recovery and healing in such a way that that they begin to maybe find that some of what they've put in place is no longer serving them as it did at first. And they have to begin vulnerably making choices to let go of pieces of the self-help process that they've so uh, rightly put together initially. Well, today I'm going to be joined by one of my colleagues here at Daring Ventures, the, my practice, uh, Jessica Guillory. Jessica is a licensed professional counselor in the state of Texas. She is APSATS trained in the multidimensional partner trauma model, and she's also trained in several other modalities, EMDR, uh, AEDP, which is Accelerated Experiential Dynamic Psychotherapy, and um, she's a CSAT candidate and um, has been working with betrayed partners, with addicts, but especially with a lot of couples. And uh, this is a conversation that she and I have had offline, and we thought it might be beneficial to have it online with you so that you could benefit from it. So we're going to turn to that conversation with Jessica here in just a moment. Before we do, I just want to say uh, right now at the AppSets website, uh, appsets.org, uh, Look into the trainings that are coming up in just a few months. We're not that far away from the summer. And in June, APSATS is offering its its signature training on the multidimensional partner trauma model, as well as a training on, betra on betrayal trauma for religious leaders. 
If you have not gone through those trainings and you fit in a category of someone who wants to walk alongside uh, those who are um, trying to move through a healing process after the discovery of betrayal, I cannot encourage you highly enough to go check those trainings out. All right. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Jessica Guillory. Well, hello, Jessica. Thanks for being willing to come on Betrayal Recovery Radio. Yes, I'm excited to be here. Yeah, and I'm excited about this topic. When I first approached you about uh, being a guest, it was exciting to hear uh, this idea because it's not one that would have come to me naturally. Uh, basically, you said something like um, how to know when you should stop working on yourself. Right. Yes. Which is... Um, Go ahead. Yeah. If any of my clients are listening, they perhaps have heard me fuss at them about this very thing. So Right. Yeah. Because die. so many times we're trying to get clients to do work on themselves. And in fact, clients come to us because they want to work on themselves. And you're saying we need to talk about when you should stop working on yourself. Right. So can you say a little bit about maybe what got this idea in your head initially? Yeah, thanks for asking. So I'm aware of imagining that we live in a very um, wellness-oriented culture right now, uh, where there's infinite resources for self-improvement, uh, infinite therapists, right, to support that journey. Um, and uh, there can be something called toxic, <laughs> right, wellness, or kind of an obsession or a fixation. If we think about over-exercising, um, I want to posit that there's something similar for over-recovering. Okay. A little bit controversial, but stay with me here. <laughs> okay. Yeah, we're going to hear it out. We're going to have this conversation. But where I thought we would start, uh, as I thought through this topic, is... You know, before someone can stop working on themselves, they have to begin working on themselves. Right. right? I can't start something I haven't started. Stop right. something I haven't started. Right. So so I want to start with this. Why why is it important for someone to take ownership of their own healing or recovery process in the first place? Right. So I experience kind of two types of clients that come in. Um, there are maybe marriages or individuals who are in crisis, right, where if they don't seek immediate help, uh, the coupleship or, you know, their personal um, psychological help will blow up, right? Mm. They, they need immediate care. Um, and so, of course, obviously, the journey is very important to begin if you are in crisis. Uh, the second type of client is, you know, people who want to brush up or people who want to tweak, you know, things that could be improved. Uh, and then there's a third kind, and this is the population that I'm speaking to, uh, the kind that have worked very hard and have forgotten how to rest. Oh. So, but we'll get to that third person later. <laughs> well, okay. So actually, I kind of want to get to that third person right now, if that's okay. Sure. What might be some signs that that's you? Yeah. Do you mean me specifically, as in I'm one of the people that I <laughs> You can answer to. that however you want. <laughs> yeah, whenever I feel called out, it's because I'm relating a little bit too deep. Sure. And maybe that's why I can recognize it, you know, so clearly. Um, so some signs that you might be in this third category 
do I dread beginning my self-care routine, mm. right? Do I feel depleted even after doing things like meditating or um, going to my counselor's office, right? Do I find myself hesitating to rest? Because that thought in my head is, but you need to recover. You need to keep healing. You need to keep growing, right? Has my inner critic latched on to this idea of recovery as a tool, right, to beat myself up with? Oh, wow. Okay. Thanks. So, um, so when I think about this and I've certainly had that conversation with clients where I say, Hey, you know, I think it's time to pull back from some of this work. I think it's time to introduce some other forms of self-care that aren't directly related to, you know, addiction recovery or betrayal, trauma, healing or whatever. Um, and what I begin to notice often for a lot of those folks is that their recovery is beginning to become an end unto itself rather than a means to a different sort of end. Do you, do you see that as related to this topic? Yeah. Let me reflect what I, what I hear you meaning uh, yeah. I'm taking in um, instead of I am recovering to say, have more health or happiness in my experience of my marriage, um, or I'm recovering to be able to move more freely throughout my workplace or to be more productive or, you know, whatever it may be right. to sleep better. Um, that goal becomes blurry and recovery itself is the task to be completed. Right. Yeah. It's the end game. Like, like I'm recovering in order to uh, recover, but right. recover to what recover, what, <laughs> you know, right. to get back to what? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, I'm and sorry. That's, repeat your question. <laughs> yeah. So, so I'm just wondering if you see that as related to this, this topic that, that maybe the folks who have reached a place where they need to, to start shifting maybe in, in how they even define and think about self-care and, and, and growth and, and all of that, uh, if, if maybe a means has become an end, Mm -hmm. uh, and it was never meant to be an end. Yeah. I don't know how, um, clinical, uh, your language usually is on this podcast. Um, but I want to frame it like, um, a coping mechanism, right? Uh, yeah. if I'm trying to resolve a threat with something that's threatening, right? Like if I'm in high charge as I'm trying to resolve what the, it, it, what the charge is, right? So recovery is a useful tool to move out of um, distress, right? Um, but if I'm not resting in between workouts, I don't know why I keep using that, <laughs> that analogy. No, I think it's a fit sure. analogy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. If I'm not taking rest in between workouts, do my workouts get more effective or less, right? Right. Uh, does my motivation to, you know, visit the gym another day, uh, increase or decrease. Right. Yeah. And, and that actually fits with, I'm thinking, as you say that it fits with what we know from, uh, the research into neuroplasticity that actually <laughs> the, the more permanent sort of connections that need to be formed for there to be changes to the networks in the brain, those happen not during the work itself, but in the period of rest after the work. And so if I'm always go, 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 and I'm never in that place of, of rest, 
then um, my 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 labor is in vain. Those those more permanent connections don't actually form in my neural networks. Yeah. So um, so let's let's try to get real practical with this. Like like paint a picture, and and maybe we do this for both an addict, one who's in addiction for or I'm sorry, in recovery for addiction, but also maybe a betrayed partner who's in a process of healing there. What might this look like for each of those folks? Ooh, and can we add a third what this would look like for a coupleship? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, let's yeah. do it. Yeah, so maybe we can start with um, betrayed partners. Okay. Um, this is a real life situation that I encounter quite often. Um, there are support groups uh, that are named aptly, right, to a place to go to be around like-minded people who have similar journeys and stories, right? And uh, it's tempting to stop listening to my body, right? Mm. Stop listening to my physiological response while I'm completing this recovery task, right? So maybe the rule or the law in my mind is I need to do this because this is what recovery is, but one day I'm especially triggered, right? Or I just wake up kind of um, in high arousal, right? Uh, going to ISA or going to, you know, RCA that day might be not not what my recovery needs that day, right? Um, if I find yeah. myself having a panic attack while a sister is sharing, that might be an indication, oh, this, yeah, there's a different self-care tool that I need to bust out today, right? Um, right. And so having that grace and flexibility can be hard sometimes when we're, you know, um, committed stoically to checking off the boxes of our recovery. Yeah, and and I've I've encountered that as well, where a betrayed partner mm-hmm. uh, has to wrestle with did did this particular support group or this particular program that was so helpful and did serve them so well in one mm-hmm. stage of their process. Now maybe it's more triggering. It keeps them more stirred up. It keeps you know, uh, it keeps them in a heightened state, hypervigilance, right. and they go. I don't. I'm not sure if this is serving me as best it can uh, right. right now. So okay, yeah. And and a- another one that I hear a lot, and I mean, this is a little bit almost like hypocritical because here we are on a podcast. But I've said to to people like maybe cut back on the podcasts and maybe the blogs. Maybe listen to some music. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, like, uh, right. Um, right. Yeah, maybe maybe pull back a little bit on that uh, because I think that that all of the information, while absolutely critical, especially early on, right? Knowledge is power in that way. Mm-hmm. It's a very empowering. But I get a sense sometimes that it keeps people in this cognitive place where they're not having to feel maybe some more affective, emotional uh, realities. Right. Right. And I, I also want to validate just kind of echoing what you're saying. Uh, There's a plethora of podcasts, uh, YouTube channels, you know, um, professionals to reach out to. Right. And so I'm, I'm overjoyed that that's an option in this age. Um, and I would be hard pressed, you know, not to take advantage of it myself if I were in that situation. And we go back to 
what does it look like when my body is telling me something else, right? Have I set up my recovery in a way that I'm only engaging with my mind or only engaging with my list or my rules versus coming back to my felt experience? Mm. And when I feel that burden, do I have the tools to choose kindness towards myself? That's that's really what I'll be emphasizing here. Like, do I have the tools to choose radical self-care that looks like not doing a daggum thing sometimes, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I call that recharging on the couch. Just get mm. on the couch and recharge, sure. you know? Right. Right. Yeah. What's that yoga so, pose where you just lay out and your limbs that's are my favorite one. <laughs> yes. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, you know, um, and I, I, I haven't forgotten that we're going to also do the same thing for those in recovery from addiction and also for a coupleship. Mm-hmm. But a couple times now, maybe three times now, you have mentioned rules, mm-hmm. right? Like the formation of, of rules. And, and I want to just pause on that because I think that's a really important concept for people to maybe become aware of because not everybody, but a lot of folks, and it's nothing, it's not a bad thing, right? They're just genetically biotemperamentally wired to be a little more rule oriented. Um, and pair that with the experience of betrayal. And what I'm thinking, this is kind of real time processing, which is dangerous, but I'm going to do it anyway. (laughs) Um, what I'm thinking is that, especially if you've just discovered that your reality as you knew it was not as it was, right? And that whole storyline's yeah. been blown up. Finding rules. Oh, it's so, so comforting. Is, oh, so. Like yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like, here's something that's certain. Here's something I can really, you know, hang my hat on. Mm-hmm. Um, and so rules can serve us until we start serving them. Right. And I think that's what I hear you say. Oh, I like right? that, Jake. Yeah, yeah someone that. should write that down. Yeah, rules serve us until until we start serving them. That is that is so poignant. Yeah, um, and notice maybe I've been doing it well though imperfectly. Even as I'm framing, um, you know, this idea of choosing not to over recover, right? I'm not using the language of should. Right. Mm. You should stop going to this program once you feel this way. Right. Because far be it from me to cure your rules with rules (laughs) right? or to (laughs) cure your fixation with a fixation on another uh, checklist. Right. Um, Yeah. 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 And so the whole key here is what does it feel like for you? And do you have access to choose something different? Yeah, that's really good. It's really good. One of the other things that I, I know I've I've shared with um, betrayed partners is that we know we know trauma typically makes our world smaller, right? Mm-hmm. More things are threatening, more things are unsafe, more things are uncertain. Um, I, I have to have more more boundaries, more fenced in, and so at first it makes it makes our worlds much much smaller. Recovery, mm-hmm. we want recovery to open us up to have. Right. A, a bigger life for there to be more options. And sometimes I think those rules that we create and these, the, these rules about our own recovery actually end up keeping our lives smaller, mm-hmm. right. but it feels safer. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. What would you say to a betrayed partner who's kind of got the cognitive awareness of that dynamic but maybe he or she's just afraid. 
Right, yeah. <laughs> so I call upon uh, people who are willing to <laughs> give us, um, not tough love, I don't love that phrase, but like uh, disconfirming love. <laughs> I'll put it that way. Okay. So the people who maybe know us and know uh, what we tend to go to when we're trying to regulate, um, chances are the people closest to us have observed that we like rules, right? Or have observed that we go gung-ho whenever we're under stress. Um, And so if you need accountability to go opposite of, you know, something in recovery that you're fixated on, schedule, right? Schedule with a friend. Hey, I'm going out Mm. with, with my dude. Right. Um, if you're a guy in in betrayal trauma recovery, like organize a lunch, right? Uh, call call a friend, right? Um, and that way you're filling the time with something, right? Because it's not just an absence, right? It's a presence. Uh, um, yeah. 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 You're talking about something that I I yeah I find myself pointing to often. It's not enough to say I don't want to do that. What right. am I going to do instead? Yeah, right. so finding that positive direction to head into rather than just trying not to go another direction. That's okay. Right. That's good stuff. All right, let's let's move to what might kind of that that over recovery look like for someone um, in addiction recovery. Yeah, so I I'm open to your feedback, Jake. I'm going to say some stuff, Uh-oh. and I'm going to maybe stir <laughs> stir a pot. That's yeah. okay. It's a safe so, place for conversation. Yeah. So there are um, some people who are recovering from compulsive sexual behavior who have loaded their schedule every day of the week, including Saturday and Sunday, right, with group therapy, with meeting with their CSAT, with couples therapy, with 12-step, right? Um, And so there is no space, I I kid you not, this is a real life example, there is no space for quality time with my spouse, right? Uh, There's no space for me to work out, right? There's no space for me to just enjoy a movie that I wanted to see, right? And so I I do understand why the schedule tends to get that way, especially as you're, you know, trying to meet partner requests, right? If you have a partner who enjoys rules, especially, right, the more the better. This is what makes me feel safe, right? And and am I allowing my schedule to have margins, right? Not margins for acting out, but margins for outer circle, uh, life-giving, right, um, right, restorative behaviors. Not saying 12-step yeah. can't be restorative. Not saying couples counseling can't be restorative. But yeah. when do I have fun, right? When do I live the life that fun. I can live? What? What? Right. When do I have time for the things that I can do now that I'm in recovery or can experiment with doing now that I'm in recovery? I think there's a fear, if I may be so bold as to speak for recovering individuals, there's a fear of if I go back to um, living loosely, right, I'll, I'll relapse or I'll go back into not setting good boundaries for myself, right? But this margin to fail well, Mm. Right. I think is is the secret sauce of true recovery. Right. Uh, Can I get used to failing well? Can I get used to making amends when I'm not perfect? Can I respond with flexibility when I've hurt someone? Right. And Um, when you say fail well, you're not you're not necessarily talking about acting out again or lose loss of sobriety. Yeah. So, So can you can you speak to that? 
Thank you. Yeah, so one example, um, I have a couple where um, their friend group has been changing just as they're navigating recovery, right? And so um, the acting out partner, hey, I would like to spend time with this person, right? I, I gave them a call. Maybe they receive feedback, hey, I'd really prefer you not call them unless you let me know that you're going to call them because they knew about your acting out, right? And so Absolutely, yes, I'm responding with humility. Yeah, I tried to do a good thing for myself by reaching out to a friend, but I see that that hurt you. Thank you for letting me know. How can I right. do that in a way that makes you feel safe, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And and I also want to, to say, kind of like we said with uh, betrayed partners in their own healing process as well, there are some addicts, I think is one who's, you know, treated a lot of addicts that initially, I mean, when, when it's, when someone is just getting started and they're just trying to not act out, then yeah, do the 90 and 90 fill up right. every day. I mean, that initial surge, but if, if I, I tell people, if we're, if we're two years in and you're still at that same level, how do we know how deep and internal the change is? Right. Right. How do I, how can, if I'm the betrayed partner and my, my partner who, who is in addiction recovery has no room, right? Has no room to demonstrate transformation, mm -hmm. healing, change apart from this really full structure. Right. Then, then I'm going to always have that question in my mind of, Am I safe with this person without it? And then that's where we got to help people realize, and it's not an all or nothing off on switch, right? We can ease our way back into these other activities of life. Right. Yeah. I think of um, our distinction at the beginning of our time of the three types of people, right? If you're mm -hmm. in crisis, that's probably not a good time to experiment with flexibility, right? Sure. Because you don't need right. it. Right? You need structure, you need, um, <laughs> you know, high level of care, right? You need a high level of vigilance around, you know, the things that could, you know, uh, slip you back, I guess, right? Um, right. Or if you're just looking to tweak stuff, chances are you've maybe done well already with experimenting with flexibility, right? And tune-ups are more than welcome. I'm not going to scold you about over-recovery when you just want a tune-up, right? I, I honor that. But that third space, right? I've been stuck in my rules for multiple years and I don't know how to get back out. I don't know how to feel safe unless I'm, you know, hyperbolically engaged, right, with rigidity. Um, mm -hmm. And that's where I ask, okay, is there some space for healing around that rigidity that's necessary? Um, and, and that is a scary process because once again, last time I was not hypervigilant, my life blew up, right? Um, I got hurt. Yeah. Um, but we, we ask these things because they're, they're real, right? They, sure. they lead to something. Sure. Okay. So let's do, let's do the coupleship now. Uh, what does it look like if a, if a, if an, if a relationship, a dyad, you know, as we often refer to them, if they are over recovering? Yes. So I <laughs> have heard the words, we are going to recover even if it kills us. <laughs> okay. And I loved that so much because it, not because I condoned it, but because it embodied this idea of uh, the coupleship is no longer the thing that's being cared for. It's the sacrificial lamb 
<laughs> on the mm. altar of whatever we've uh, conceptualized as recovery, right? So mm. uh, we're going to um, do couples counseling every week, even if, you know, we notice that we no longer have time for date night, right? Um, we're finding babysitters specifically so that we can go to 12-step stuff instead of babysitters for, you know, something else, anything yeah, else, right? Yeah. Those, those couple things that we get to do when we're in recovery, right? And so even within session, um, and I'm speaking kind of just from my experience as a couples counselor, even in session when I get the sense that um, keeping track of the other partner's recovery has become the goal rather than connecting, right? Mm. So keeping track of the other's adherence to our recovery goal rather than I'm keeping track of your well-being because I care about you. Um, that usually indicates to me that somehow we've gotten off track and and our uh, priorities have shifted to something not sustainable. Yeah, yeah, okay. So, okay, yeah, I'm thinking about this. I hadn't beforehand thought about this from a couple, you know, as looking at it, the unit, the couple's unit over recovering. <clears throat> I definitely see those markers that you just articulated. And even as I'm listening to you, one that, that I'm, that's coming up for me is a couple that all they ever talk about is recovery. Mm. All they ever talk about is recovery. And I have seen this both ways. So I've seen it to where the, the recovering addict is the one who, can't talk about anything else and and maybe his partner or her partner is like hey i want more to life and i've seen it the other way around right maybe the recovering addict is wanting to expand that outer circle and bring the partner in on that but the partner's like no only recovery stuff and i've watched the dynamic the it, it's like a tug of war happening then within the coupleship to where we teach this concept of mismanaged thirds right so if if the couple is the dyad you know and the dyad is is supposed to uh have a place of priority a mismanaged third is anything that splits the dyad right anything that right. comes between the couple and recovery can be a mismanaged third right right yeah. and what comes to mind for me and i might just be echoing what you're saying so that'd be fine too um if recovery is the only thing that it feels safe for us to talk about right or if uh recovery activities are the only things that feel safe for us to engage in as a couple right uh once again crisis stage that makes a lot of sense um but if we're three years in and we can't spend time together unless we're talking about the safe topic of um you know what did you talk about in in your meeting or right what's your sobriety date right is that hindering a deeper intimacy yeah and can we look at why that is right uh why is that a safe um you know triangle that we've made uh to keep us from each other rather than mm -hmm. moving towards each other yeah and and another thing that's coming up for me thinking about this is and and folks who've followed me for a while, this probably won't be the first time they've heard me say this. And I always start with the disclaimer. I support 12-step programs. I myself identify as a grateful 12-stepper. So I'm not, I'm not slamming them entirely. 
And I want to recognize that more traditional 12-step models do encourage a certain, you know, your side of the street and your side of the street mentality and a prioritization of my recovery is my recovery. And I've got to put my recovery first that can really have a, 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 a detrimental effect on the partner and on the relationship as right. well. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, in couples, we talk a lot about like managing safe distance, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, has recovery become right? Has staying on my side of the street become a way that I can stay yeah. a safe distance away from avoid. You? Right. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Avoid shield, protect, hide, you know, mm-hmm. and I mean, if, if, if a couple is okay with that, like if a couple wants to have their own sides of the street, that's their prerogative. Sure. But most of the couples that I know we see want to live in the same house, you know, metaphorically right. and pro- probably for real at, at some point, <laughs> you know. Um, they want to yeah. enjoy each other's company. They want to be able to laugh together. They want to be able to share, you know, their deeper thoughts. Right. 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 So I asked a similar question to this earlier. Um I want to circle back to it. Some some signs that self-help is actually hurting. Right. So you I want to the ones I heard you say, you know, I'm dreading my self-care routine. I won't rest. Um, I, as we've been talking, I've kind of been making another list in my head of what some of those signs might be. And a couple of them that came up were I haven't read a non-recovery related book in years. Yeah. Right. Um, that might be one, uh, all of my friends are in recovery mm-hmm. might be one. It may not, it may not. Um, um, I, f- I, and you said something similar to this, but I just want to make it real explicit. I beat myself up if I don't clear certain recovery bars in my own mind, or I beat my partner up if they don't clear certain bars in my mind. And again, I'm not talking about acting out. I'm talking about they only made it to four meetings, not five this week or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, Those are great examples. And, you know, we can look like physical um, symptoms, right, of working too hard. Um, Am I exhausted? Am I having trouble finding joy in the things that I used to um, indulge in, right? Um, we can look at relational sy- symptoms, right? Um, have I lost friends uh, because I'm not willing to engage with people that aren't in recovery, right? Um, do my non-recovery friends still know things about me, right? Still know mm-hmm. like heart level things about me. If not, you know, what might that indicate, right? Um, third, we can look at thought patterns, right? What do my thoughts do when I'm over-engaged, right? Uh, Am I only thinking about uh, maintaining perfection, right? And if so, uh, what might that um, inner perfectionist need? Because chances are feeding more perfection to a perfectionist doesn't work. At least it hasn't worked for me yet. (laughs) Okay, that's good. Yeah, so um, let's say someone's listening or watching this and they're going, okay, that's that's me are talking about, you know, I'm. X amount of time into this process. Um, I, I, I've, I've still got lots and lots and lots of recovery stuff going on, but I'm tired. 
<laughs> and I'm and I'm not I'm not recovering to something. I'm just in this like hamster wheel of of keep recovering, uh, keep keep processing, keep healing. How do, how do we stop? You what just do we do? stop. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's helpful. Uh huh. Uh huh. Yeah. So I I go back to uh, those loved people. And if the only loved person that you trust right now is your therapist, <laughs> you know, maybe drop the bug in their ear like, hey, I think I might be working too hard, right? Um, and creating a self-care plan that doesn't have anything to do with your list, right? Mm. Like specifically leaving off the things that have been over-engaged. I know that that can sound like making a separate list of rules, uh, but person who's listening, it's a journey. <laughs> right. And that's okay. Yeah. Right. And, and, and I'm even thinking I'm, I'm putting myself in some client's shoes. And even if that feels too scary, maybe just dropping one thing. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, okay, I'm going to let go of this one piece yeah. and see if my whole world falls apart. Oh, um, yeah, run a little experiment. Yeah, run an experiment. Okay, I, I've, I have, I, I have spent every single Saturday morning for the last, you know, forty-two months mm-hmm. uh, in this support group. I haven't had a Saturday. You know, I used mm-hmm. to bike, cycle, right? Um, do it one week, yeah. see what happens. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I even like um, setting tiny, tiny, tiny goals like, hey, what if you just gave yourself permission to zone out while you're in while you're in a meeting? What if you give yourself permission not to share? Right? Uh, Mm -hmm. What if you don't stay for that extra hour of fellowship after the meeting? Right. Like just tiny, tiny, tiny little things, any increment. And then just notice what that's like, if it makes any any effect over time. Yeah, maybe even. replace a podcast on recovery with a podcast on some other interest not this one of course this one they'll want to keep uh in the rotation but but you know try something else i i'm thinking of one specific partner who uh, i was seeing her and her husband as a couple and saw them over a period of probably almost two years and toward the end they were they were reaching you know the appsats model there are three phases there's that safety and stabilization first and then there's that second phase of grief work and then the third phase of renewal and they were moving into that third phase of renewal and um and she did this she she said i'm going to make myself you know, start reading about, and it was, it was politics. It was, that was an interest she had had a long time ago. And, but you know, her life had been consumed by recovery, understandably so. And she started engaging, you know, getting back up to speed and then engaging at a local level. And I was so proud of her. I mean, she started like, she got involved in local elections and she's passing out yard signs and she's, and her whole life opened back up in such oh, a powerful goodness. way. Um, but it started with a, an intentional choice to just make some mental and emotional space for something else. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And that's post-traumatic growth. Right. Jake, that, that example captures my heart so much. Um, I'm thinking of the grieving stage, right? What things did I have to sacrifice when I went into this relational ER, right? When I had right. to uh, put myself back together again. And now that I have resumed some semblance of wholeness, oh my gosh, I can walk again. Like, where would I go, right? I can see again. What things do I enjoy looking at, right? I'm using kind of a physical metaphor, but like, what are the things that I lost that I might, 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 what hope do I have to return to those things? Yeah, and how much fuller will that enjoyment or that participation be now that I've walked, you know, through the valley of the shadow of death, right? And and there's life on the other side. Yeah. That's, That's so exciting to me. Yeah. Okay, good stuff. Okay, um got one more question um mm. if we could just sort of sort of make a make a list uh the difference between healthy self-care and hurtful self-help mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so healthy self-care versus hurtful self-help so the health health healthy versus the hurtfuls i've created a tongue twister uh inadvertently <laughs> here um trying to bring together a lot of what we said so the healthy, one of the things I heard you say that I am taking is when I'm done, I feel, generally speaking, mm-hmm. I'm going to feel more replenished and rejuvenated, not drained. Right. Is that right? Right. Yeah. And that doesn't mean, you know, everything will slide off me like Teflon, but like, you know, yeah. that feeling of like, man, I, I worked hard, but it feels good. Like, I feel like I got somewhere. I feel like I'm becoming you know, uh, versus yeah. that dead end feeling of like, why did I do that to myself again? Right? Mm. When is this ever going to end? Right. That kind of yeah. generative feeling versus that stagnant or like a uh, foreshortened future type feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so then another one that I've kind of captured it through this discussion is the, the hurtful self-help is, is going to keep me in that small space right? That the betrayal created versus the healthy is going to push me out into a bigger life. Mm -hmm. It's going to be moving me, taking me somewhere. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of some others that I heard in our conversation. Um, yeah, my relationships will will start to widen again, right? Not just in quantity, but in quality and depth, right? Mm. Um, I get to talk to people about my uh, innards, if you will, right? Yeah. Uh, not just my recovery people, but maybe I'm resuming a relationship with my mom now that I have the capacity to be honest with her about what's been going on, right? Um, I get to risk, you know, making a new friend and having them know know the real me right not all introverts (laughs) need a lot of new friends but you get what i mean yeah yeah and and you just talked about something that i think is is crucial in this this idea of vulnerability i think healthy self-care is going to require the risk of vulnerability absolutely versus that more hurtful self-help it's a whole lot of effort but but there's not a lot of vulnerability necessarily beautifully said Jake yeah to to that that the those rig, more rigid routines are just it becoming check boxes right the routine is my armor that keeps me from having to engage with things that might make me grow Ooh. 
Yeah, that's good. That's good. There's also there's also I think you know healthy self care uh, is is actually going to set me up to have a greater capacity to navigate co- complexities in relationships and in the world. Right. Right. It it's feeding my ability to take on more complexity, and by complexity, I think what I mean is like. Uh, different kinds of personalities and people of different backgrounds, people who aren't the same as me, people who challenge how I think or how I feel, or I'm a little uncomfortable in this situation, but is that okay? And do I know how to navigate that? My self care is tied to my ability to, to navigate those complexities versus a more hurtful self-help routine. Again, I'm, I'm not putting myself in those complex situations. And the problem there is that those are how we grow. Those are how we continue to develop as human beings. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to use another couple's example because that's my main gig. Um, Do I get to engage with normal couple problems, quote unquote, right? Uh, Can Mm. I have an argument about finances? You know, or child rearing? (laughs) Oh, can we disagree about parenting Uh, without me, you know, intentionally going back to the tread ground of, well, you don't get a say because blank, 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 right? Um, am mm-hmm. I using that as a cudgel to keep from maybe integrating, like reintegrating through conflict? Yeah, right. Which is so scary. Yeah, so scary for a betrayed partner. But where, you know, the conversation that I usually have in those moments with with folks is, what do you want ultimately? Like, what are you, what are your values and form in terms of a vision for your relationship? And then you get to, you get to choose to, to move that direction bit by bit, step by step. Right. And, and chances are beneath the fear or beneath the threat response, what the acting out partner and the, you know, betrayed partner is wanting is a, is a partner, right? They, they're wanting that their person back. Right. And so what are the things that move me back towards intimacy Mm. with myself, intimacy with my partner, intimacy with the world around me? Right. Uh, Risk taking and repairing and doing things imperfectly, but being brave. Right. Am I creating brave space for myself? Yeah. Yeah, that's good. So um, I as I've thought through this topic a little bit, I wanted to sort of mention this as we close. Uh, and then you can give any closing thoughts you have, Jessica. So in my work, especially when I was working more directly with addicts individually, uh, it was common at some point, you know, let's say eight to 10 to 12 months into the recovery process that these recovering addicts would say something like, you know, this shouldn't be called recovery. It should be called discovery. I don't, I didn't even know who I really was apart from this. I'm, I'm learning so much about myself. I'm learning so much about the world, you know, discovery. And, and if I'm an explorer, if I'm a discoverer, I'm trying to get somewhere else, right? I'm not just like sailing the seven seas in circles, mm-hmm. right? I, there's a destination and I, maybe I don't even know entirely what it is. Right. But I'm I'm not sailing just for the sake of sailing. I'm trying to get somewhere. And I think that's the heart behind this conversation. Yes. And so if you're if you're out there, you're a recovering addict, you're a betrayed partner, you're a couple who's trying to do this together, 
think, be clear and be bold and be vulnerable and think about where do you want to go and how is your recovery routine helping you get there and then be open to how is that routine maybe holding you back and, and what's, what are some practical things you could do to begin to make that, that shift? Jessica, what closing thoughts do you have? Yeah, I I want to take a moment to speak to um, kind of this luxury of curiosity, right? Truly, it is hard fought and hard earned, right? If you are in the grips of trauma, we know how that uh, inhibits our ability to wonder or to dream or to, you know, be creative or to access um, curiosity or possibility, right? And so hear me say, if it's not yet accessible, that's okay, right? Yeah, we're not holding anything against you, That's right. right? But when when that margin of possibility comes, seize it, right? Because that's where the post-traumatic growth begins to, to manifest. Yeah, you got to seize it. Beautifully said. Thank you for this conversation, Jessica. Mm, Appreciate you. you. Appreciate all these yeah. thoughts. All right, thanks. Bye, everyone. You've been listening to Betrayal Recovery Radio, the official podcast of AppSats. If you've received help or hope from this episode, I encourage you to share it with someone you know. If you've not yet done so, please subscribe to our podcast on your favorite listening platform. Thank you for joining us. I'm Dr. Jake Porter, and you can always email me directly at jake at appsats.org. I'd love to hear your ideas questions or comments about the show until next time keep choosing to use your voice and live your values it's good for you and for this world